Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. I could easily kill you now, but I'm determined to have your brain. You're listening to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of genre cinema. Hi, my name is Chris, and along with Jeff, we talk about movies that aren't really awful at all. Horror, action, kung fu, musicals, post-apocalyptic, women in prison films, and much, much more. Whoever's doing this, it's not funny, okay? Please remain calm. The situation is under control. Somebody's done something in my flat. I can't get out. You just knocked a hole through my wall. You're welcome. Those people outside in the orange They're hazmat suits. Everyone's doors, windows, sealed shut. We need to see this. Looks military. Looks toxic. Can't just sit here and wait for them. Got to get out. Tell us what's happening. A moment of contact, breathing the same air, that's all it takes. Anyone found outside and shot on sight. We need to move. I just want to know where my husband is. Why do you go to panic? We just make things worse. Can't keep a lid on this, bro. No! They're coming! downtown Toronto headquarters. Here's episode 307, Containment. Uh, Chris here, your genial host, co-host of the Really Awful Movies podcast, um, flying solo here as, uh, as uh, Jeff takes a little bit of time off in the summer. Um, anyway, regarding this uh, current COVID situation, once the pandemic really went into full gear, I had already been, I guess, uh, actively seeking out uh, related, I guess you could say, entertainment, and obviously this one touched a nerve and uh, and uh, piqued my interest by virtue of the titles. I had already gone through the likes of uh, 28 Days Later, a revisit of that one, that rather exemplary work, and also the uh, Matt Damon, uh, Steven Soderbergh directed, um, outstanding, quite outstanding uh, Contagion. And so I, I guess as a way to sort of exercise uh, pandemic-related uh, demons, I figured this would be an interesting uh, way to uh, confront those fears. And again, Containment is a similar outbreak-style movie in the style of somewhat like the Dustin Hoffman star Outbreak, but uh, with far less of a focus on uh, normative uh, I guess uh, strategies to actually combat it and rather focusing on the principles and how they how they uh, cope with and uh, you know attempt to uh, flee from I guess the uh, the uh, pathogen so this one here is interesting because I was thinking about how uh, films are structured and how um, I guess uh, locations that are circumscribed can be uh, 
abused in the uh, service of a really compelling narrative. So I'm thinking uh, as a kid, I saw Dust Boat and that one was as, about as tightly confined and claustrophobic as you can get. And uh, you could also throw in the horror realm the likes of The Descent into the mix, a whole litany of films from Alien to uh, Death Ship, uh, you name it, when you're actually confined to a certain locale, uh, either by choice or by necessity, then it makes for a very interesting narrative. I actually was revisiting Shivers from 1975, the David Cronenberg, uh, early Canadian tax shelter film last year, and that's another one that is uh, limited by space, by design, and also probably by budget, because at the time Cronenberg would have been working with a very threadbare and uh, largely uh, government-funded uh, space when he uh, <laughs> can see that that one is there's this you know wonderful condo style development that's on an island and it's got all these amenities. It soon turns out that these uh, this is the site of uh, a particular calamity that uh, breaks out. Now containment is similar in that regard. So you have a group of denizens of a uh, quite a I guess a dispiriting almost Soviet block looking piece of architecture in uh, it's called a council block in West and Southampton uh, south of England so I guess a council estate in uh, British idiom and parlance uh, refers to um, actual social housing so it's pretty funny that it sounds it sounds actually very fancy and it sounds like oh I, I'm gonna retire to my council estate but actually a council estate is uh, shabby housing and this is seen in the uh, Manchester set, uh, I think, superior version of the um, of the TV series Shameless. So we have a group of people there who are on the take, and uh, they remade it for these shores and set it in Chicago, but it's no by no means as impactful. So uh, this one is directed by Neil uh, McInerney West, and he's apparently he was apparently a disciple of the late Ken Russell the British filmmaker known for, well, by me at least, for the really cool uh, Bill Hurt star um, Altered States, which is really fun and really cool psychedelic sci-fi movie that I urge everyone to check out. I think it's from the early 80s, but I can't be too sure. So this one, you have a bunch of residents in this, in this very uncharming, uh, I guess, very stark and imposing housing block, just a big giant concrete apartment. It's not altogether different from where I happen to live, though slightly more shabby. Anyway, and you have a bunch of characters who are find themselves at odds with one another in, initially as they're breaking into one another's residences with and breaking down uh, drywall and uh, etc. with uh, hammers and other implements. and. The, and they eventually look outside and they see a bunch of uh, tents and, and uh, government officials who are bedecked in hazmat suits and the tents are not unlike what Mayor de Blasio set up when uh, New York City was particularly hit hard by COVID. So these ad hoc makeshift uh, mash unit uh, tents that are set up to deal with uh, victims of the pandemic. And so the residents of this, uh, you know, high-rise flats are looking outside and wondering what is going on because the, they're only receiving communiques through 
this very bland and uh, bureaucratic and almost Orwellian uh, messaging that says, please remain calm, the situation is under control. And uh, which is always interesting because given the WHO and other health authorities' various commitment or lack thereof to the importance of wearing masks, it's interesting when uh, there's, a, I guess, an almost justifiable you know, suspicion and uh, skepticism when it comes to whether uh, health officials have your best uh, interests at heart. And it's pretty bizarre in the jurisdiction I'm in to see the stress on wearing masks right now when the pandemic is almost, I mean, it's, it's waning. There's only been, I think, 100 new cases a day compared with the poor souls in Florida who've had to deal with 15,000 a day. So it's funny, the insistence from the mayor and the premier and other public, uh, public elected officials saying, oh, now, of all things, you got to wear a mask and uh, not before. I was wearing masks pretty early on, just out of sheer paranoia and social distancing and all that. And paranoia, obviously, is the theme to the undercurrent of all these kinds of uh, pandemic movies. When you don't know where to turn and your elected officials are coming up uh, woefully short when it comes to communicating uh, the importance of, well, in this case, it would be staying put in their unit. So uh, these strange figures in the hazmat suits are Almost they're, they're patrolling the grounds outside of this uh, structure, and the uh, the residents are looking outside and seeing that people attempting to escape from their building, and also uh, just more broadly, people out in the pu general public are being shot on sight. And it, this is a little bit like the well, both the remake with uh, Timothy Oliphant and the original uh, George A. Romero film, uh, The Crazies. And there's something very uh, impactful and quite um, quite sinister about, well, masks of any sort, but particularly ones that uh, are so closely linked to life and death, really, and that would be the hazmat suit. So you have a, a bunch of these neighbors, again, in this uh, complex. The alpha male among them is Sergei, who's the most uh, violent and confrontational and uh, he then there's others like a retiree who's a somewhat a bigoted older lady named Enid. There's a young boy named Niku who might be Greek or something, but he doesn't really speak any English from what I could tell. He doesn't really, he seems fairly mute and a bunch of other principles. And again, they have to sort of figure out what's going on and whether they should just stay put and make do with their confinement and containment or whether they should uh, break loose and try and seek shelter elsewhere and this obviously was a key conceit of uh, 28 days later and the movies of that ilk uh, and really the post-apocalyptic genre as a whole uh, they have as their uh, deus ex machina is usually a, a uh, nuclear event that takes place that wipes out all of humanity and then uh, a quest almost uh, from almost uh, ancient myths where you have the remaining uh, survivors who have to go and they hear these tales about across the horizon or beyond the, the hills or beyond the mountains of a, of, a, of a paradise or an oasis that has water or power or you substitute it in whatever, uh, whatever is required to uh, rebuild their society. Now, to the extent that this one succeeds, it's pretty interesting. The uh, inside, outside 
uh, group and uh, physical uh, dynamics and limitations and liminal space that has to be traversed or not is just a great conceit. And uh, I mentioned Romero, and you could throw, obviously, Night of the Living Dead as the master class in, uh, I guess, tension, group tension, and individuals struggling against, uh, running up against the uh, needs of the group and needs of themselves, and also circumscribed by location. And uh, famously, obviously, the survivors hold hold down in a uh, Pennsylvania farmhouse and the denouement of that one is just so just off the charts and dismal and, and resoundingly depressing. Now the people here they uh, they they uh, attempt to break out and they I guess they end up taking a hazmat nurse hostage and they try and they they uh, press her to the window and and uh, goad and taunt the government officials outside saying, hey, listen, we've got one of you guys. Uh, of course, this carries very little uh, weight because the government officials are trying to, are really out in the, in the business of self-preservation and they have all these tools meant to, I guess, uh, sanitize or spray down the outside and they're more concerned about the spread of the uh, pandemic than they are about one of their own members being, succumbing to it, I guess, bro broadly speaking. Now, McInery West, the director, began working on this and wanted to do a modern-day uh, urban version of uh, Lord of the Flies, and you could see how the uh, tension builds up, uh, especially well here with all the different, uh, different types of characters, the bulk of whom will be unknown to... Um, to North American audiences, with some of them are from, I believe, stars of EastEnders, uh, a, a British soap opera with which I'm, I have limited familiarity, although it's strange that um, Coronation Street, the Manchester set soap opera, for reasons I really can't countenance, it airs on Canadian television nightly, so it must have some sort of I don't know, <laughs> appeal amongst uh, expats, or uh, I guess there's a heavily, uh, I mean, we are part of Commonwealth, there's a heavy uh, British presence in Canada, but, and I've caught myself watching it on occasion, and it's it's uh, quite a delight. Uh, it's funny to the extent that American soap operas differ from British ones, in that the American ones are very aspirational, and they typically revolve around an oil magnate, or some successful wealthy family, and the Goings on, uh, you know the internecine squabbling and and the romances between maybe even warring families and the British ones are typically focused on very humble uh, working class Joes as is the case with uh, Coronation Street and they just basically hang out in the pub and look like people who could very well be your neighbors rather than central casting uh, standouts so they're all. I mean, who was it? What was the joke about how documentaries are just movies with ugly people? I, I don't know how I can to what I can attribute that, but uh, the setting here is uh, quite wonderful. And um, uh, McInerney West chooses the uh, Weston Tower blocks in Southampton as the the site, and it's very very stark and again very very bleak. And it's the perfect place, frankly, to set a movie about a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, pandemic. You know, addled uh, wasteland. Uh, as an aside, now Southampton is, uh, uh, it has something to do, uh, I should research this, there was, I think a lot of residents from this, t from this city were on board the Titanic, and it has a shipping 
history and it's there's a pretty interesting documentary for soccer fans out there um featuring southampton and it's uh, battles with neighboring uh, portsmouth and this is called a south south shore derby so a derby is basically you know, two teams in the same geographical location who frequently hate each other they do battle and these tend to be some of the most uh uh, spirited contests and it's something we really don't have in North America but I highly urge uh, listeners to check out this South City Derby a documentary and see how 50 year old grievances and gripes about workers crossing the picket line has informed the degree to which these two cities fight one another about this stupid soccer match which is uh, it's really really terrific um, anyway back to containment uh, so these disparate people are trying to get out and they have in their way the government officials who are effectively taking them out with uh, shoot on site orders, but also people from, uh, I guess, other residents of Southampton who are trying to seek shelter from the government uh, officials trying to take them out. They're trying to uh, simultaneously break in to these tower blocks as these people are trying to break out. And it's particularly impactful to have a, uh, a pathogen in a pandemic that's not really too well described. And it lets, there's, there's a lot of breathing room in the beginning of the film that uh, leaves the audience uh, questioning what is going on and sees the proceedings through the eyes of the residents of this uh, tower block and that's quite effective because they really don't have any answers and they're trying to solicit answers from an uh, unforthcoming uh, bureaucratic uh, entity outside so they are in the dark and we are in the dark as an audience and then when you find out what's going on outside the walls it makes it very uh, very interesting and this is a very very low budget production but it's incredibly character driven and uh, makes excellent use of just uh, uh, banter and and uh, there's a couple of funny lines when they kidnap the nurse uh, who I believe it was her first day on the job and they said oh this has been quite a uh, <laughs> quite a memorable one and that so it's character driven all the way it has a very I mean they, they use this as pejorative frequently but it's stagey but in a good way I mean, you could see this um, I think capably translate into um onto the stage maybe london's west end or some sort of or a broadway almost production so it really very very capably plays on its uh strengths as being very well uh, sure i'll call it contained it's the uh, containment is very contained in, in a very well done way i mean uh, you can contrast it directly with 28 Days Later, in which it, there, that had a bigger budget to showcase the, the blight and the apocalyptic scenes that the uh, survivors had emerged into. And this one is very much not that, and takes, makes use of its uh, scenery and, uh, and, and its uh, circumscribed, again, tight uh, confines uh, very, very well. Now, uh, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I really am a big fan of, uh, of movies set in high-rises for, uh, for obvious reasons that I uh, have been living in one for seven or eight years. And it's when you, if you really stop and think about what kind of living space you're in, it's kind of shocking. Is uh, My building's 18 floors and there's hundreds of people living in this tiny, 
tiny patch of real estate in uh, just outside of the core in, uh, in Toronto's West End. And it's just, if you were to stop and think about it, you, you really don't think about it unless um, your walls are breached by something. So my neighbors upstairs frequently fight uh, and cuss and they have heated arguments about Black Lives Matter and, and they're constantly at odds. I think it's a mother and daughter and then other times you hear someone down the hall who's having sex and it's just, it's not <laughs> particularly, uh, uh, you know, uh, congenial uh, atmosphere to be, you know, to be confined to. And this especially comes to the fore when you're trapped during a pandemic and you're spending way more time uh, indoors than you would ordinarily. And uh, it's something that has really dawned on me when there's just, you overhear people's conversations that ordinarily you wouldn't ever encounter because everyone is home or uh, has had their uh, uh, work and social life so completely upended that these have been almost uh, the, the line between them has been uh, increasingly blurred. And of course, uh, we've had lots of fire alarms go off and all sorts of uh, weird uh, maintenance issues that have had to take place. And it's uh, it's been quite a challenge. Now, I think this may be a part of the podcast where I get to where what I've learned. Now, um, containment is, I would say... I mean, really, really, really lean. And I've often bemoaned the fact that I, I think movies generally should not exceed uh, 100 minutes. And uh, someone who's notorious for violating this, uh, well, arbitrary <laughs> uh, running time that I have is obviously, uh, well, Quentin Tarantino, who just insists on... Uh, on these bloated productions that could easily be trimmed by 20 minutes. There's nothing like that here. So this, um, this production just flies by at a lean, mean, and tight, tightly constrained 80 minutes. And that's just so good when you're uh, coping with all the different uh, demands that, you're, uh, that uh, this pandemic has brought on. You just want something to get in and get out. And this one really um, does that very effectively. And uh, you, the, to, the, to the extent the ending is somewhat predictable is not that big a deal because it's it's more the um, you know, the journey than the destination that really uh, uh, brings things to the fore here. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I've been delving into lots of these different films and uh, caught... Uh, Anti-Social, which was a uh, Canadian horror film that's shot at my alma mater, the University of Toronto, that also features a pandemic and uh, affecting uh, partygoers of this New Year's Eve party. And they find out about it when they're confined to a household through social media and through the news media or what's left of it anyway. And I was thinking just again about how just god-awful movies that predominantly feature social media are. And it's it just filmmakers have had a struggle dealing with uh, nascent technologies, and it's something that I think it would be great if uh, I don't want to say he would come out of retirement, but if he would, uh, David Cronenberg to tackle 
the uh, the impact of uh, social media on our consciousness uh, uh, through maybe uh, Harold Innes or uh, Marshall McLuhan. I mean, he would be the one to do it. Let's, uh, the, he, that would just be absolutely fantastic. But his uh, career seems to be on a different uh, trajectory of late. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's doing uh, he's doing television now. His son Brandon Cronenberg. We've made no bones about the fact that he's. Uh, come out of the gate pretty strong with, uh, I believe, 2014's Antiviral, which is just a terrific um, film about people getting close to, well, as physically and biologically close to their uh, celebrity uh, crushes as you can get by uh, injecting themselves with with uh, biological materials sourced from celebrities and I highly uh, urge people to check that one out it's really icky as you'd expect from the, the Cronenberg name and this um, I mean son does his father proud with that one and again that falls into the broader category of pathogen type movies that I've been um, checking out while I've been uh, uh, dealing with the, the pandemic and and, uh, and a one-year-old child now uh, regarding the uh, uh, this film, I, I don't know how to what extent it's been reviewed. I think far less than its uh, um, than its uh, contemporaries that came out this year. I mean, 2015 was an excellent year for horror, uh, and this one was, I want to say, lost in the shuffle uh, amongst the likes of uh, uh, Crimson Peak, uh, The Witch, uh, the fantastic Bone Tomahawk. That was uh, my film of the year from that year. The uh, quite exemplary uh, Green Room, which we podcasted as well. Um, I mean, 2015, uh, oh, uh, speaking of High Rise, is High Rise with uh, Tom Hiddleston and uh, Jeremy Irons, which I, I wasn't totally sold on, but it was an interesting idea. And I, I think J.G. Ballard novels are just a real, real tough, tough uh, nut to crack when it comes to... Uh, uh, adapting them to film. I mean, although I really love Cronenberg's Crash and I love J.G. Ballard, he's just incredibly badass. So yeah, 2015 also had Tag, and uh, we're still here. I mean, 2015 was badass, and uh, uh, you know, um, Tag is um, uh, Sion Sono works. So I'm, I'm a huge Sion Sono fan, and uh, you should check out all of his stuff. But so containment sort of slipped through the cracks during that time, but it should be given its due, especially for those of you hunkering down uh, thanks to COVID. And so it's not groundbreaking. It's by no means uh, an all-time classic for the ages, but uh, you got to commend them for doing a uh, dialogue first, character first character-driven horror. I'm always appreciative of that because uh, like, without characters, you, I mean, regardless of how splendid your uh, practical effects are or your, your thrills, really it all stems from that. And there's a lot of investment here. Uh, the kid, uh, Niku, is uh, terrific. Uh, the, the Motley crew of, of people are also quite uh, compelling. So uh, star rating... I'm going to give this a solid 3 out of 5. It's available on Prime. You can get a sense of the influence maybe of uh, the Ken Russell influence. The performances are pretty good. Uh, you could boost it by half a star if, uh, if hazmat suits give you the willies. 
But yeah, you should, you, you'll find yourself enjoying this one. And uh, we're going to come back strong next week with uh, Jeff uh, rejoining the podcast. It's been fun handling this on the solo front, but uh, you know, I need him back. And it would be great to uh, actually touch base uh, over a beer and find out how he's doing. And uh, we shall talk to you soon. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.